Hello. Uh, it's really good to see you. Um, so to begin, I'm going to take you back to my upbringing in the church. I grew up Catholic. As from the people here, is there anyone else here who grew up going to the Catholic church? Just so I know who. I'm, yeah. And and so so I actually think about my Catholic. Like the upbringing I had as a fond time, I, I, I think very highly of the things that I was taught and um, the family I grew up in. And I, I, I think about those hymns. I think about the priests. I think about the people who taught me and poured, poured into me and uh, the theology and stuff that challenged me as I grew up. And um, just very, very fond things for the church I grew up in. And um, as a kid, there, there, there was this part of the, the service that I always um, got like these goosebumps. And um, so it was the time that the priest, he would, you know, take the bread and he would take the cup and he would hold it, hold it over his head and he would sing. There's something about like a guy in a robe, you know, and holding the, the elements or the sacrament and singing the things that cause this to happen. And the, the essence of the thing he would say would be, be in him, through him, with him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this profound chant in him, through him, with him, through the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. And it was just like, I would get goosebumps every time, is I loved it. And, and so, so as I got older, I, I kind of always had that fantasy of being a Catholic priest, to be able to say, you know, to hold the elements over my head and chant the, the thing, you know, the in him, through him, with him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forever and ever, you know, ooh. And so, but that didn't ever happen. I came here and uh, became an evangelical pastor. And, um, and back in 2007, I found myself down in Durango, Colorado. I had a group of 45 senior high kids from Christ Community. And I, I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if I took them to a Catholic service, you know, like to kind of like have this, this conversation about it and stuff. And so, um, so I found this Catholic church and um, found service times and the service had just begun at the time uh, that this group of 45 high school kids began to pile in. Well, it's the, the type of church that had been there forever and it was this huge building, but probably only about 25 people in it. And they're all scattered throughout the, the church. And here come the 45 high school kids and we sit up front. And the, the priest, he was probably like 24 or 25. And he was really excited to see all these people come in his church and sit down. And so, um, um, so, so he saw us and then he, he, he quit the thing he was doing, and then he went back and he began, began to get more bread and more of the wine because he saw more people coming in. Because the thing about the Catholic Church and, and priests, they prepare just enough 
for the people that are there. You don't have any extra, right? You have just enough. Um, and so, and, and so he saw these 45 people coming, or 46, because I was there. And, and he, he's, he's like all excited and he's pouring, you know, like pouring and big bread, you know, or, or not bread, it's the, the thingies. And so, so then it becomes time that he holds it up, you know, in him, through him, with him, you know, and he does it. And, and then the only people who go up to receive the sacrament are the 12 people from his church. And he, he, the, both of us made the eye contact as in, I, I knew exactly the thing he was thinking, oh no, because something about the Catholic Church and priests are there's just enough for everyone. And if there's any extra, the priest has to consume it. <laughs> Dead serious. And, and this was the best thing ever. In my heart, I was giddy. It, because the thing that they do is they take, they then take it back and they crumble up the bread parcels in the the cup, right? But his cup was full. And then 40, like enough for 45 people of wine and bread. And he had to drink it all. Like in my head, I'm like, this is like a college cafeteria experience. Like, can he do it? Um, because the idea is like, he has to, it's the rules, you know, there can't be any extra I don't know if he did it. I don't know. But he tried to. And after the service, he came over and talked to us. And, and he and I cracked a joke about how, how when the 45 kids didn't show, come down, his heart sank because he knew he had to consume it. I grew up under that idea that Jesus' grace was sufficient for me. And a bunch of us heard that, like his grace is sufficient for me, it's, it's sufficient for me. And under that idea, I kind of like personified it as there is just enough. There is just enough grace that covers me, right? There's just enough. Like, like growing up under that, that, that idea of within this cup and in this bread, there is just enough for the people in this room. There's almost like this poverty mentality of grace that I was brought up under. And it was like, I was scared that, that if I, I did a bit more than I typically do, the grace that was sufficient for me is not sufficient for me anymore. Or, or do you know what I'm saying? Like if there's just enough, and, and that, that my older brother is a punk, and if it was sufficient for me, is it sufficient for him? And, and there's this idea of Grace that always made me scared that maybe, quite possibly, if I believed something incorrect or if I did something that was just enough beyond the, what was sufficient, it wasn't good enough. And so there was this fear that I had that it might not be good enough sometime. Today, our church is going uh, to uh, do this, uh, the third part of the sermon series called Core. And the idea of core is it's talking about the things that are central to our faith. And it's coming from the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians, I was talking to a group of my friends a bit earlier. And, and from, from going 
back into the book of Ephesians, it seems like Paul has this vocabulary and this theological perspective that seems like an old friend. Um, it's, it's very... I, th- I think it just feels holy. It's this holy vocabulary, this holy perspective. It's this heavy yes um, that, that does my heart good. And so the sermon series is called Core. And the, the verse today that we're all going to be going towards is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, and part of 8. And I love this verse. It is really small, and it's really beautiful. Um, So if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles toward it, and here it is. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And that's it. So in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Like, from the beginning, it's, there's this passage that begins in him. And Paul has this vocabulary um, throughout all of his epistles, um, the things that he teaches the churches. When, when he talks about our position, he typically says, in him. In him, in him, in him. It's like what the Catholic priest said, right? In him, in him. I, I have this perspective because I've been taught this forever. And, and we often say this quite a lot, um, that Jesus is in our hearts, right? We have this, the, the, this like vocabulary of Jesus is in our hearts. He is in us. He is in me. He is in me. He's in my heart. Or, or um, that idea, I've heard this said, that, that, that everyone has a Jesus-sized hole in their heart. Well, first of all, Jesus was a human being, and your heart is bigger, smaller than a human being, so we can't have a Jesus-sized hole, so it's metaphorical. But, but even thinking about the metaphorical idea of that, of Jesus being inside of our heart, there's this idea that I've often tried to find him there, and I just can't. I'm just going to practice vulnerability because I've heard there's great value there. There are times that I just can't find him there. And then I think if, if, if people have a Jesus-side hole in their heart, I have a Jesus-side hole in my heart and in my intestines and in my lungs. I have a Jesus-side hole in me. Or I just have a big gap <laughs> that where are you? Because I don't feel whole a bunch of the times. I don't feel satisfied a lot of the times. I don't feel like God and I are homies a lot of the times because I don't even know if we're supposed to be. And so then there's all this confusion that calls out, God, where are you? That is the most common question in the Bible. God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? And it's easy for us to say, he's right here. He's in me. He's in me. The theology of Paul would say, whoa, whoa, time out. You are in him. Now, off the bat, that doesn't seem like a big paradigm shift, but it is a gargantuan paradigm shift. In him, we find redemption. In him, in him, 
If I am in him, and Paul talks about this, I am in him and he is in me. Because I am in him, he is in me. And it's not this idea that Jesus is not found outside of me or outside of you. It's God is. And when I am in him, it's like this. It's a spherical, a spherical, (laughs) a spherical thing. It's it's really hard to say. Um, Everything's hard to say. Um, It's like a spherical thing that, that, that like... Picture oxygen, for instance. There's oxygen in you, right? And she could say, I got oxygen in me. And we'll say, yes, good for you. But the oxygen is in you because it's you're actually in oxygen, right? You breathe in oxygen. And the oxygen is inside of you because you are inside of oxygen. The value of the oxygen does not come from you but it comes from the fact that you are inside of the oxygen. If you ever go outside of the oxygen, the oxygen is not in you. You will die, right? It's like, I mean, like, do you get what we're saying, right? And and this idea of like, we are in Christ as if it is this, yeah, breathe it in. While we are in him, we have redemption. We find it here. It's like the difference between if you drink a glass of water and you could say, I'm drinking the water and it's in me compared to drowning in the ocean and inhaling it and it becomes a part of you. Like, it's like this whole other thing. Paul is obsessed with the idea of being in Christ. It is often a theological obsession of ours to make sure that Christ is in us. There is this profound desire for us to control things. Right? I'm not going to go too far into it, but controlling God is one of humanity's favorite things to do. And as long as I can keep him hostage inside the Jesus side hold on my heart, then I can get him to do whatever I want him to do. But when I am in him, he has the control. He is king. His grace begins to do what his grace was meant to do. When I am in him, when you are in him, and when you begin to ask that question, God, where are you? I would challenge you to say, the odds are he's asking you the same thing. Where are you? And if you're not going to answer, in him. (laughs) See what I'm saying? All right. The passage, going back to the passage. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. In him, there's this posture, I am in, okay? As far as this passage goes, it's a super short passage. And so it gives you the opportunity to spend a ton of time here. Have you ever... I didn't plan on saying this, but I was thinking about this a a ton. Have you ever seen like a spider that was just hanging from a single single 
thread until you grab the thread above it and then it starts to go up and down and you twirl it around and it starts to... That's how this passage seems to be for me. It's like this, there's so many different fun things you can do with it and perspectives. (laughs) I didn't think that was funny. But um, yeah, it's just like this passage is brilliant. So focus on a couple of things here, like the prepositions that that you find and and the postures um, that that Paul is talking about. So, So the first preposition here is in. The second preposition here is through. And so as we're talking about where is God in grace and sufficiency and things like that, let's look at these prepositions. So in him and then through his blood, atonement theology. Let's, let's just talk about what this means just for a second. This is like the centerpiece of the Christian faith. It is the idea um, that that people are sinful, that the earth had been sinful, and that that God saw this and said, "I want to be with you," right? And so He pursued His kids because the separation between Him and His kids is not okay to God. Um, it's brilliant because it talks about the character of God. A lot of this is all about the character of God. The other gods during this time that people created, um, had this character of the gods. They sat in heaven and expected the people to pursue the gods and make the gods happy. Well, the Hebrew God was different than than this. He, He gazed down and he saw his kids and there was a separation and God said, this is not okay. And instead of expecting his people to come to him, God pursued his people. And this is central to the character of God. He is the pursuer. He chases after his kids. And so, and so he, he comes, he's born, he is a human being, he's 33 years old, he's, a perfect, he's perfect, he is 100% God, 100% human. How do you explain that? We can't. That's, that's a huge part of our theology that will never, ever be explained, and I love it. 100% God, 100% human. And then he was hung on a cross. There were spikes in his hands, torn in the side. He bled, he died, and he was the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of our sins forever. He was buried for three days and came back to life to say, death will never have the last word. And our faith is born from this place. So when we encounter this passage that says, in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's this vocabulary of blood. In the church, everything is about blood. It's, we often talk about blood a lot, but it's to the point that we don't even think anything of it at all. But blood is a big deal, and it's gross. Let's be honest. If you, I mean, it's blood. You know, if you encounter blood, I see blood and I get queasy. I do. It's weird. And, and there's something about human blood that causes our heads to spin. And there's something about the blood of Jesus that atones for all of our sins in the past, present, and future because it is sufficient for us. The preposition we have, redemption, 
through his blood. The preposition through is this idea of movement, right? The, the term through is this preposition of movement, going through something. The idea of the blood of Christ from the Hebrew perspective and from the Greco-Christian perspective is that it was endless. It was endless. So if you are going through something that is endless, what does that look like? This verse, in him we have redemption for our sins, or we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The, the word through and then his blood also has baptismal vocabulary for the, for, for the church. It is this idea of our forgiveness of sins is taking place through his blood. But his blood is endless, and it has this symbol of, of this is where the forgiveness of sins happen. And you're going through it, but it's endless. Do you see what's happening here? In him, we are going through his blood for the redemption of our sins, but this blood never ends. And so we are going through something that has no beginning and has no end. We are in him. <laughs> oh. I have a friend who also spent some significant time in the Catholic church. And he and I were talking about this passage. And he said, I always have had a hard time staring at the crucifix. And so the crucifix in the Catholic church has Jesus on the cross. Um, compared to in the Protestant church, he isn't on the cross. It's just a cross. And there it is. I don't think our church has one. Um, but just pretend with me. Anyway, so the crucifix, he said, I have always had a hard time staring at the crucifix and it's right there in the center of the church and Jesus is huge and bloody and like just hanging there and it makes me feel so guilty. And so he told his priest or pastor at the time, he said, I have a hard time with the crucifix. And, and so his priest or pastor said, I think that you should just go and sit and spend time in front of it and see what happens. And so, so my friend, he sat there in front of the crucifix there at this church by himself, and he began to pray. See, before this time, whenever he saw the crucifix, he felt this guilt and shame because there also is that idea that you and I put Jesus there. It's that there are those songs of like, I, I, I held the hammer and I banged the nails in his hands. It was me, it was me. And there's this idea like of just guilt and shame of like, I put him there. And so he sat there in front of this crucifix with this heavy, I put him here. And he looks like he's scowling at me. And something in his heart said that he heard God say, you didn't put me here. I chose this. And then God began to speak to his heart about how he chose to come, how he chose the cross, how he chose the hammer, how he chose the nail. And like he at any time could have said no. 
He at any time could have gotten down. He at any of time could have just floated away. He at any of time, but he chose to be there. In essence, Jesus was not a victim. This perspective may seem small, but it is huge. In our theology of thinking of the cross and thinking of Jesus, we often, especially around Good Friday, we see Jesus as a victim. That it was us who victimized him, who put him up there and he didn't deserve it. And, and then he hung and he bled because of us. He did, but he chose it because he loved us. And that was his character of pursuit and sacrifice. And he spoke our vocabulary and he bled for us. It was his choice. Jesus was not a victim. Is that different for you? Does that sit differently to think about the sacrifice of God? He chose it. He was a willing participant compared to someone who was forced. And he was willing to do it because you were worth it in him. The passage continues on. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In him, through, and in. There are other translations here that have a different preposition, and it's with. Um, with accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. There is this idea that the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus made perfect sense. It was in accordance to the grace of God. The grace of God did not just happen during the time of the cross. God has always been a gracious, graceful Grace abiding, grace abounding, grace vomiting God. Okay, like it's what he does. And so this idea of Jesus dying on the cross and this huge sacrifice is in accordance with simply the character of God. It makes sense in him. So, so we have in him, in this idea that we put ourselves inside of God and in this posture, we, we are going through this presence of, of the redemption of sin through his blood, this idea of sacrifice. And it all makes sense because of the grace of God and not just the grace of God, the riches of the grace of of God, which brings us back to the place we kind of began, is this idea of a grace of God that is found kind of in sufficiency. Um, this grace of God that's just enough to cover me. If, if, if the blood of Christ covers me, it's just covering me to the bottoms of my feet and we are good to go. But in him, we find redemption through through the blood 
for forgiveness of our sins. But the blood has no beginning and it has no end. And so if I am covered in the blood of Christ, I am drowning. You see that? There's this different picture of theology that's being painted by Paul. It's just not sufficient. Its richness is poured out upon you. So my family has um, this, this beehive company type of thing. I sell honey. We sell bee products and soaps and all that fun stuff. And um, uh, um, the Broadmoor Hotel, um, they offered to buy a whole bunch of our bee products. And I was like, no way. Like, this is our family business. We do everything in our kitchen. And then, like, the Broadmoor Hotel says, please bring everything you have. We want to buy it. And, and so, first of all, our family is just honored. Like, they see us. Like, okay. And so, so our family is just bottling all this honey, like, like hundreds of pounds of honey, and we're going to bring it to the Broadmoor. And so we get down to the Broadmoor, and our old, like, our truck is dirty and disgusting, and, and it was my family, and very eclectic. We're in a very eclectic family, and if you've ever been to the Broadmoor, it's just perfect. It's just a perfect place. Um, it's, it's, it's a five-star, five-diamond hotel, and it's the best of the best of the best of the best, and, and so, so our truck pulls up the top and this guy opens the door and he calls me Mr. Tenza. It's like, whatever, you know, my hat backwards and I smell bad because it took us two and a half hours in a truck to get down there. And then my kids pile out and they bring us in and they had paid for our family to spend a night at the Broadmoor. And I was like, wow. Like, first of all, they're buying our things and it's a I'm just happy they're doing that. And then they pay for us to, to stay at their hotel. And then the executive chef who oversees all the food, he comes to us and gives us a personal tour of everything. And he has his like suit on. And, like, and he kept on saying, I am so honored to have you here. I am so honored to have you here. It's like, dude, you're crazy. Like, you know, and, and then he brought us to um, this temperature-controlled space. And he's like, have you ever had prosciutto, prosciutto before? And I'm like, no, we have not ever had prosciutto. And he, 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 he like, carves this, this, like, it's prosciutto. And he carves it off, and he hands it to the people in our family, and he tells us. He's like, this prosciutto comes from Spain. And, and, here, and he tells us the whole story. And <laughs> and, and he tells us the whole story of this prosciutto. And then he said, it's the b- best prosciutto there is. And then he takes this Parmesan cheese and he cuts the Parmesan cheese. And he says, this Parmesan cheese comes from France. And it's the best there is. Have it. And then he says, I'm going to serve your honey in this room because it's the best there is. And I was like, you're nuts. You know, because like, I was just like goosebumps all over the place. And, and through our, and, and then he paid for us to eat at their plate. Like, it was just like, what is happening? The 
day after our family gets in this truck and we start to drive home feeling like the sons and daughters of the Broadmoor, like we belong here and we are like, I mean, it was wild. And you have to think that's what the abundance of grace feels like. Whenever you experience a God and a grace perspective, that isn't just enough. Like the, the Broadmoor Hotel is the opposite of just enough. It is disgustingly fantastic. It's like, like they want their customers to know that they are the most amazing, important people and, you're, and you deserve not the best, but you deserve the best of the best of the best of the best because you're just you. I came home from that experience. I'm like, that's what I want the church to feel like because that, that is what the church is and that's what the grace of God is. It's like this idea that if we go around like, like just hoarding grace, you know, like, like there's just enough, there's just enough, there's just enough and, and we don't want to take advantage of it. It's like, guys, if God is a billionaire, the sin you have is 12 cents. Seriously. And, and then you might say, well, you know, sin's a big debt. Not compared to the endless abundance of the blood of Jesus. I understand the, the, how big our sin is. It is. It is this unsurmountable debt and payment or whatever. But compared to the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, it's just nothing. So if we have this poverty mentality of God's grace, it really shrinks God because grace is not something God just does. It is who God is. And so when you are in him, see, this is where it happens. When you are in him and you, you find yourself saying he's in me because I am in him. And my whole identity is found in this idea that through, through the blood of Jesus, I find redemption. And this is all in accordance simply with who God is, that he lavishes his grace upon us. Like that is a term that this verse ends with, he lavishes. I don't even know what that means because I never use it, but it's like extravagant. He's like, do it, right? It's yours, be in it, swim in it. Grace isn't a baby pool we splash around in. It's the ocean that is like, there is almost no beginning and no end. And it can be terrifying because you can't understand it. And because we often don't understand it, we try to shrink it so we can control it. And we just jam it in our little Jesus-sized hole in our heart. Don't do that. Grace should be mysterious and big and all-encompassing and beautiful and inspiring. And it should be the thing that causes you to come alive and have identity. That's what brings you here to say, I just want to hear him sing the chant that says, in him, through him, with him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, somehow this all happens. And it's the great mystery of the church. And that's what this is all about. And it's a perspective. 
So when you find yourself not being able to find God inside of you, (laughs) maybe challenge your perspective and ask yourself, am I in him? Have I sought him? Am I sitting in his presence? Am I, do you see what I'm saying? Because it's different. It's different because in this church and in this space and when Jesus holds the cup and when Jesus holds the bread, it's abundant. There is not enough. If a priest tried to drink it at the end, he would be having a very holy experience. You can't drink it all. You can't drink a portion of it as long... You can't quantify how much there is because it's not just sufficient for you. It's an abundance. It's too much. It's over. It's over. If Jesus is a billionaire, your debt is 12 cents. What would that be like? What would that be like to know that he chose He chose you. He chose the cross. He is not a victim. What would it be to change your perspective of instead of just him being simply in you, that your whole purpose is to be inside of him? What would it be like to know that his grace is in accordance to all of these things, that it's just who God is, that he is good and powerful and he has all things and all this just makes sense and it's your father who pursues you over and over and over again what would it be like if these were the things that were at your core your core theology it should almost change everything And this passage is like an old friend that the church typically forgets about because it is so, so, so powerful. It's assumed and people try to control it, but God cannot be controlled. God, we thank you that you cannot be controlled and that your grace cannot be controlled and people cannot put qualifiers on it. God, we thank you that there is an abundance of grace and even saying abundance, it's putting a limitation on it and we're sorry. God, we thank you that the choice was yours. We thank you um, that, that you are a God of pursuit and a God of action. God, we thank you that you are a God who, who pours out and gives an exceeding amount, that you, you are big and gracious and loving and Beautiful God, we thank you that you cannot be quantified or qualified. God, that you are. God, we thank you that, that you call us to come into you and that this is the posture that you invite us into. God, we thank you that, that, that you, you invite us to come through you and this is an action you invite us to take. And God, we thank you that you journey alongside with us. And inside of this idea of in you, through you, with you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see the beautiful things that you are doing in the pursuit of our hearts that you are engaging. 
And in this place, there is always enough and there are all, there's always extra. God, we thank you for the ability to experience the things that you are doing. So I already talked about it a lot today. Um, it's the idea of the cup and the bread. And the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ that was broken for you. And the blood, or the cup is symbolic of the blood of Christ that was spilt for you. And it was the choice of Jesus to offer this gift to you lavishly. And here, there's always more than enough. So, 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 as, um, so as your hearts are turned towards him, um, may you find yourself participating today in him and through him and come up here with him so that you may profoundly experience the power of the Holy Spirit as you point your hearts towards God.